pray this finds you having a blessed, wonderful day and look forward to getting into our time in the Word this morning. Um, We're going to be in the book of Joshua as we have been kind of walking through the last couple of weeks and looking forward to what uh, God has in store for us uh, today as we get into the Word. um, We are excited. Uh, This is a really good passage in Joshua chapter 2. And I think some interesting things here, um, because what we're going to find is, and we see this all throughout Scripture, um, God really does use very unique situations and unique people and unique circumstances. Um, A lot of times what we find is the things that you would think God would use or God would do Um, Really, it's the opposite, Uh, and that's really what we're going to be finding today. So um, if you want to go ahead and you can look at Joshua chapter 2, that's where we're going to be at today. And um, we're just going to start with the first verse because I think we can kind of stay there for just a little bit. Uh, In the first verse, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Achaia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, one of the things, again, I think is it it does us a disservice, is especially for those who have either grown up in church, know a lot about church, know a lot about scripture, and Bible stories and things of that nature, we can oftentimes take a passage that would be considered a familiar passage, and as we read it, we don't allow it to affect us. Um, because when we're, when we're looking at this passage here, we're talking about, uh, as we have looked in Joshua chapter 1 over the last couple weeks, We're talking about a group of people that have said, you know what, we're sick and tired of the old ways of sin. We're going to consecrate ourselves. We're going to get ourselves lined out. We're going to get things taken care of. Um, We're not going to keep falling prey back to the same things that we always have been. Um, We're going to uh, fully embrace and take this promise that God has given us because uh, we've wandered in the wilderness for far too long. And you would almost expect that this is a group of people that holiness is going to be something at the top of the um, top of the list for them to do. Um, they're going to be looking at everything and every aspect of their lives and saying, you know what, we've got to make sure that we keep ourselves guarded, that we make sure um, that everything we do is on the up and up. And Joshua, and they've had this situation before with spies. If you remember in the book of Numbers, uh, they sent out the spies. Uh, Oh, by the way, Joshua happened to be one of them. And they went and they were supposed to spy out the land. And Joshua and Caleb come back and said, hey, I think we can take them. And the rest of the 10 spies said, hey, you know what? Um, We are like grasshoppers in the sight of these people. And that is 
where their downfall of faith, you know, kind of uh, hit its peak. Uh, they weren't trusting in God. And so Joshua this time sends out simply just two spies, uh, maybe symbolic of him and Caleb. I'm not necessarily going to say that. But sent out the two spies and said, we want you to go and scout out the land that we know God has given us. Because if you remember in um, Joshua chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 11, uh, it says that uh, God told Joshua to go and take possession of the land that God has given them. So they were set into this. Um, and he said, make sure to um, look at Jericho. Um, Jericho is um, one of the most fortified cities at this time. Um, it is thought that the walls were somewhere in the neighborhood of around 50 feet tall. Um, the walls would have been wide enough that uh, supposedly two chariots were able to cross. Uh, so I'm guessing somewhere in the neighborhood of anywhere between, between 10 to 20 feet across is the thickness of these walls. So this is um, the epitome of a Fort Knox during this period of time. Um, this was an impenetrable city, um, and they really had no worries um, during this time. So uh, Joshua told them, go scout these lands out. And as they go, you would think that Joshua, these men would, that Joshua has sent, that they would make sure that they would go do some investigation. They would kind of try to walk around. They would kind of blend in. It seems kind of out of place that it says, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. If the nation of Israel and these uh, people are supposed to be on the up and up and supposed to be, you know, living this holy consecrated life, why in the world is the first place they're going to go to the house of a prostitute? And not only that, but that they're going to stay there. Well, when you do a little bit of research, there is thought that Rahab, this was not per se her house as much as it may have been uh, kind of a brothel or a tavern. Um it may have been that Rahab was a woman who kind of led a business, a brothel. Um, and when you sit down and think about it, it would have been very similar to a local place of knowledge. Um, everybody who would have been traveling, everybody who would have been coming through um, this would have been the place to stop. Um, you're going to have more of a tavern atmosphere, so there's going to be food, there's going to be um, some uh, news. You know, when you get people a little bit tipsy, um, they talk, and there may have been a few people passing through, and, you know, they get a little too tipsy, and they share a little too much information. Well, we know information is power, and so it's one of those that... You know, Rahab would have been the person in the know. She would have known everything. Um, when you think about it being a brothel, um, kind of a prostitute house, a lot of these men may have spilled some secrets uh, while they're alone with these women. 
And again, this is about information and information is power. Um, it's really thought that Rahab could have been a very significant woman of power. Um, we'll find out just a little bit here in verse 2. I'm not going to get into it uh, uh, maybe as much, but look what happens in verse 2. It says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab. All right, so this right here lets you know that Rahab, if there was any information you ever needed to know, Rahab was the one who had it. Rahab would have been... Um, this woman that she was able to buy and sell information. Um, the king would have known if he needs to know anything, um, Rahab would have been the one to go to. So it's, it's very likely that these Jewish spies, um, when they kind of come, they entered into the area and just initial conversations, walking into the area and saying, hey, you know, where can we find out some information? I'm sure that when they walked in, everybody's like, hey, you need to go down to Rahab's Tavern down there. Um, if you want to know anything, you'll find it out down there uh, with Rahab. And so that's probably where they went to. Um, we don't need to read any more into it in the sense that they went there and the whole idea of the prostitution. What it does, though, is it lets us understand who Rahab really was. And this is very significant as we get ready to come to it because I'll be honest, one of the things that I always struggled with um, growing up when I heard this story was, okay, if Rahab is this ungodly woman who's living this life of prostitution and all this different stuff, how in the world did she hear information out about Jehovah God? How in the world was she aware of all the things that God and the nation of Israel has done? Um, it makes no sense whatsoever that Rahab would have been aware of all of this because it really doesn't give you any background. But that's why it's so important to study God's Word because now you got some background and it helps you to understand. It's not like Rahab is just this woman who is a prostitute who's you know sleeping with all these men and here comes these two spies and they share with her about what you know they're trying to find out and Rahab all of a sudden becomes just this uh, dedicated believer in God. No, what it does is it sets the stage for us to understand that if these people were coming through, there's all kinds of people that have heard about what Joshua and the nation of Israel has done. There's all kinds of people who have heard about what happened in the land of Egypt um, with uh, God and Moses. There's all kinds of people who have talked and spread the word and shared all these different things. And Rahab is aware now. That doesn't mean that Rahab believed at this point. No. But Rahab is aware. And it's kind of one of those things you just kind of tuck that knowledge away. So Rahab is aware of what's going on. She kind of tucks this knowledge away. And so she's aware of who God is, who the nation of Israel is. And the king of Jericho is as well. Uh, there's rumors kind of going around about the nation of Israel. There's rumors going around about how that... You know, they are looking to uh, conquer lands uh, and things of that nature. Um, I'm sure the king of Jericho didn't really have a whole lot of worry because his city was so fortified. But, uh, you know, being diligent anytime that there's some information uh, that you find out that you got some spies coming in, you want to find out about it. 
So he ended up sending, uh, he found out word that, you know, these Israelite men had come uh, to their area. So he sent word to Rahab and he uh, told Rahab here in verse three, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house for they came to investigate the entire land. So now you've got, um, and again, I think that you're just kind of reading into this because uh, let me go ahead and read verse four. So the point that I'm getting ready to make kind of makes some sense. It says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. All right. So now you've got the understanding that apparently a conversation has taken place between Rahab and these guys. And these guys were probably just kind of initially starting with some small talk. They were initially starting with a conversation and maybe they shared who they were and where they were from. No idea. Um, could Rahab have lied about it at this point where Rahab said, I, they did, I didn't know where they come from? Yeah, Rahab is not a believer in Christ. Rahab is not a person who is going to sit here. Um, she is under no obligation to share the truth. Rahab is under no obligation to sit down and be honest. Rahab, remember, if she is the head lady of a tavern, she understands information is power. What information you share, but also what information you keep. And so she's understanding that the king has already heard about this. And you know, she may be intrigued. She may have heard all of this information concerning Israel and concerning about this God and how that, you know, God has fought the battles for these people and, you know, how that everybody who got in their paths, especially sinful areas, uh, that God utterly destroyed them. And Rahab says, okay, I've heard about this. I don't find it a coincidence that there's two guys here um, from the nation of Israel. And they seem to be kind of checking things out, seeing what's going on. So maybe I need to, as the old saying that I grew up with, cover my own tail. You know, I'm, I better make sure that I got all my stuff lined out. You know, maybe this is one of those moments that I need to be smart and realize, okay, I've got information that is, you know, ahead of everybody else and I can take care of my own skin. And you look here in verse five, it says at nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. All right, so again, you see this level of dishonesty. You see this woman named Rahab who is, um, we don't know if she is originally from Jericho. Uh, don't really know if she has ties here or whatsoever that this is her, you know, specific homeland. We will find out in a little bit that her family uh, does live there because she's going to ask for protection from them. Um, but we don't really know what kind of skin she has in the game, as the old saying is. We don't know if 
she's looking at it and saying, okay, you know, I just have this business in Jericho. I can pick this business up and go do it somewhere else. I just need to make sure that I save my own skin. But it could also be that this is where, after sitting down and talking, after sitting down and having this conversation with these two spies, that Rahab maybe comes under conviction. Maybe Rahab is going to sit down and start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and say, wow, you know, I've heard all these rumors about this God. I've heard all these rumors about the nation of Israel coming in. And you know, every one of these cities were sinful. Every one of these cities had uh, things to where they worshiped false gods. There was just debauchery everywhere. Maybe I need to clean my life up. Maybe I need to understand a little bit more about this God. Again, we don't really know a whole lot. Um, we're just trying, you know, I'm just trying to look at it from what's going on. But I will say that you can't really say that up to this point, she's kind of walking with the Lord because of the lies that she's telling. She's hiding these men. Um, she's trying to make sure that she um, wants to find out some more information. And so I think what she's done is she's taken the information she's got. She's began to process it and said, okay, you know what? I need to make a decision that's going to be most beneficial for me and most beneficial for my family. I'm going to hide these guys out. I'm going to make sure that I get everything squared away and we kind of move forward from there. Because now you look in verse 7. She's got the men up on her roof. They're under some flax. Um, she sent out the king's guards to go chasing them. The gate's been shut, so the city's kind of been sealed off. So that way, you know, the king was kind of looking at it and saying, okay, if they've already left, then I'm going to shut the gate so they can't get back in. Maybe he thought about it. Maybe Rahab's lying to me. So if Rahab's lying to me and we go out and we can't find them, uh, they're not going to be able to leave the city. So in verse 8, it says, Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. Goodness, do not let these verses right here, these two verses, just kind of go away. Again, you're talking about someone who more than likely runs this kind of tavern uh, where there's all kinds of information and she is getting the information from people and she openly states everyone who lives in this land is panicking because of you. Now, I'm not going to say that literally means just Jericho. I think she's talking about the land in general. Because again, if you keep in mind that she is someone who um, has people coming and going all the time, coming by the tavern, you know, stopping in for maybe a night's sleep or whatever, um, being able to uh, have them a drink or whatever it may be, again, they're going to share information. 
there's people probably coming in that are saying, oh my gosh, have you all heard what happened to the city of, of so-and-so? Uh, have you heard about what the nation of Israel is doing? Have you heard about Israel's God, that Israel worships this God that fights their battles for them, and that he utterly destroys everything? Have you all heard about all these things? And I, I guess that that's probably what she's talking about, is, you know, I have heard all of these things. I have heard so many people talking. I have heard so many people sharing these stories about you, about the nation of Israel, about how the uh, nations are just fallen as you all just kind of walk through. And I'm seeing a common thread between them all. They all worship false gods and they're all ungodly. And I think that that's where we can get to the point where in verse 9 it says, And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. Because the question we have to ask ourselves is, how in the world would a woman who basically runs a brothel, a tavern, a, you know, a pub, um, deals with prostitution, deals with a sinful lifestyle, how is she going to come out confidently and make the statement, I know that the Lord has given you this land? Because again, I want you to go back. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. Jericho was one of the most fortified cities that was known at this period of time. I'm talking massive walls. They weren't worried about anybody breaching their walls. It's not like during this period of time that you would have had a whole lot going on. I mean, if you know anything about war and history, about the only possible way that anybody would have been able to have defeated Jericho would have been to try to starve them out. To basically surround the city of Jericho and try to put in a blockade and just say there is no food, no water, no nothing going in and you just have to wait them out. And even then, it's not necessarily that you're guaranteed because you don't know what kind of storehouses they got. You don't know if they have all kinds of food that's been stored up and water that's stored up. You don't know if they have some kind of cistern inside uh, of the walls. You don't know any of that kind of stuff. So Jericho was one of those cities that it would have... Uh, I mean, it literally, as we will see biblically, take a miracle for that city to have been defeated. So the question that I have about all of this is, how in the world does someone like Rahab, who deals in a life of, you know, shady business and stuff of that nature, someone who, um, God is not on her radar, okay, living holy is not on her radar, it's not like Rahab is, uh, you know, kind of walking around and realizes that, man, I need to stop the lifestyle I'm doing and I just need to go ahead and, and get a little bit of Jesus in my life. She doesn't have worry. She doesn't have care. She is in a situation to where she's going to have constant business over and over. She lives and her business is in this fortified city. But yet, she goes out of her way to make this comment, I know that the Lord has given you 
this land. And the terror of you has fallen on us. You know what I'm finding from Rahab here? And it's a word that I don't see in American Christian culture and in our churches today. And that is awe. I see here that Rahab was in awe of God. This reverential fear, this mouth dropped open kind of awe of who God was. That Rahab has heard these stories. Rahab has heard about, you know, this God. And up to this point, you could almost kind of chalk it up and say, well, you know, I've heard rumors, but, you know, I I don't know that it's true. And now all of a sudden, here's these two guys that's come from Israel, the place where this God supposedly, you know, uh, rules and reigns. And Rahab is saying, okay, I'm trying to put two and two together. I'm trying to realize all the stories and all the information and all the rumors that I've been hearing. And I don't want to be caught on the wrong side. I don't want to be caught on the side to where the nation of Israel comes through because I'd rather be safe than sorry. And Rahab says, listen, I've heard all the stories. And I know if you guys are coming through here, God is going to give it to you because there's not been a place yet that God has not given you. There's not been a place yet that you've went that God has not blessed you with. See, this is the, this is the significance of testimony. This is the significance and the power of us sharing our story. The reason why so many people uh, that... I guess you could say, again, the the, the American Christians and the churches that we have today. The reason why there's no awe of God is because we don't share our stories. I shared this with our church here not long ago. I said, how many of us have spent time in prayer to where we asked God for something that we knew there was no other way it could be answered other than God doing it? And the reason why I said that is because if you look at it, the majority of uh, and, and please, I want to make I want to kind of make a disclaimer here. I am not knocking this in any way, but I want you to sit down and I want you to think about prayer requests that you have heard in your church and from people, and tell me that ninety nine percent of them don't deal with sickness. That's it. You don't hardly ever hear prayer requests for uh, unsaved people. You don't hear prayer requests for people to grow in their faith. You don't hear prayer requests for people to grow deeper in their walk with God. You don't hear prayer requests for God to do the miraculous. The only thing you hear prayer requests for is sickness. Remember so-and-so, they've got cancer and they're uh, with hospice right now. Remember so-and-so, they're going through chemo treatments. Remember so-and-so, they're going to have surgery. Remember so-and-so, they, you know, their children right now have the flu, it's going around, or they have COVID. And again, please hear my heart, I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for sickness, but that's the only thing we're praying for. Why? Because that's the only thing we can't resolve. The majority of our lives right now, we can solve everything with our money, with our status, or with our own talents and means. We don't, and I'm not trying to say this to be ugly, but 
I hope you hear what I'm getting ready to say. The majority of people who sit in church pews on Sunday morning never share their faith with anybody or share their story with anybody through the week. What they do is they try to invite somebody to come to church so the pastor can. Now again, hey, I'm glad that they're inviting people to church. But but what's happening is this. It's, It's you're inviting someone to church to come and hear about Jesus when you yourself have a story about Jesus that you can share with them. See, people don't want to come to church because people in this day and time have a bad taste in their mouth about church. And and I try to tell people all the time, quit inviting people to church and invite them to Christ. What people want to know is, why should I give my life over to this Jesus? What is so significant about this Jesus? Why is Jesus different than every other religion, denomination, whatever it may be? And God has specifically placed you in that person's life to begin the process of sharing Christ with them. And what happens is when that person comes in contact with Christ, they now begin to have that awe that Rahab is having here. They begin to start hearing the story. So guess what? You share your story of Jesus with them. You invite them to come to church, and the pastor is able to share the story of Jesus from Scripture. Other people at the church are able to share their story of Jesus, and guess what happens? Now, all of these stories are starting to come together to make a puzzle that looks, okay, I'm start. i I'm seeing the picture now. And now that person is saying, okay, I've heard this story, I've heard this story, and I've heard this story. They all have the same, you know, kind of mindset, the same uh, scenario and situation. Apparently, this Jesus must be legitimate. And now what's happened is by sharing your story and doing all of this, the puzzle pieces are coming together and people began to get in awe of God. And now that's when they start saying, hey, I might want to start looking a little bit more closely at this Jesus. That's what's happened here with Rahab. Rahab has heard all of these stories about the nation of Israel. She's heard all of these stories about this Jehovah God and... None of it has really made a whole lot of sense yet, but she's tucked that knowledge away, and all these puzzle pieces are starting to come together. Now these guys from the nation of Israel come, and they start putting the last pieces of the puzzle together, and Rahab starts looking at it and saying, okay, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. They all sound very similar and all sound the same. There's got to be some truth behind this. And if there's some truth behind this, then I may want to actually start, you know, looking at it a little bit more seriously and putting putting my stock in that. The reason why people in our culture today and in our country today are not in awe of God is because we don't share our stories of Jesus anymore. What we do is we just kind of tack Jesus onto things. We pray for all the sick, but we don't openly pray about anything else. We don't sit down and share our stories about how that God has done the miraculous in our lives. And so people aren't in awe of God anymore. Unfortunately, Jesus is what people add to kind of what they already got. Jesus is that Pepto-Bismol that, you know, you can handle everything else, but man, when you get that real bad stomach ache with diarrhea and the whole kind of thing, you got to take some Pepto-Bismol to get that taken care of. And then, you know, you're glad you had it because you really needed it in that moment. But now you know what? You're good. So you put it back up in the medicine cabinet 
And about the only other time that you really pull that out is when you get one of those five stomach symptoms. That's what we do with Jesus in prayer. And that's why we're not in awe of Him anymore. We're not blown away by what God does anymore. And you know what? I'm afraid it's going to get to the point where we're not even blown away by God healing and doing the miraculous anymore because we're just going to say that medicine and science takes care of it all. See, the reason why Rahab was willing to give up her livelihood, give up her business, and to be able to say, hey, me and my whole family are selling out to buy into this Jesus, to buy into this God, this nation of Israel, this God that rules the nation of Israel. The reason why we're willing to do that is because we see it's real. People... People are not going to see that God is real, that Jesus is real in your life unless you start sharing about it. So what I want to encourage you to do today is I want you to be able to start looking at the people that's in your life. God put people in your circle of influence for a reason. Every one of us have people that we can influence. Every one of us have a circle of people around us that God has put in our path so that we can influence. What I want to ask you this is how many of them are we influencing for Jesus today? How many of them have we shared the story of Jesus How many of them have we sat down and told them our story to where they're in awe of who God is? That's what I want to challenge you with today. I want to challenge you to be able to understand that God has placed people in your path for a specific reason and that you would openly, willingly, and confidently, knowing that Jesus wants you to because he put them in your path, to share your story with them. So I pray that you have been encouraged and challenged by this. We're going to finish the story of Rahab next week as we continue in Joshua chapter 2. So I encourage you to continue reading up on it. And I pray that this challenges you to go out and do something about it. And I pray that you have a blessed day in the Lord.